Well, uh, again, it's been a pleasure to bring God's word to you. It's uh, this is a foretaste of heaven, isn't it? To be with God's people, people you don't get to see all the time, but uh, praising God's name together. Well, I invite you to open up your copy of God's word to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is the first psalm in the third book of the Psalter. It's a psalm of Asaph. Much of the scripture is full of stories like we heard this morning from the life of Jacob. Many of Paul's letters give us doctrine and um, different commands by which to live. Some psalms deal with praise of how God's word, how it speaks to our lives and how we're to obey it. But many of the psalms deal with raw emotion, the hearts and minds of people. The Bible doesn't shy away from difficult situations, does it? It doesn't duck the hard questions. And here we see the testimony of a man on the far side of a struggle. One who was tempted, yet the truth was made clear to him. So as we give our attention to God's word, Psalm 73, this is the very words of the living God. Give it your attention. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken with the rest like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with folly. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generations of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terror, like a dream when awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. 
and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But as, excuse me, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Thus the reading of God's word. Let's ask God to bless the reading of it. Father, we do thank you for your word and this testimony of a man on the far side of struggle of your goodness and your faithfulness. May the words be glorifying to you and edifying to your people spoken here today. In Christ, amen. You know, uh, this last week, all of us celebrated Thanksgiving, I think. Unless you're Canadian, maybe you didn't uh, this week. But uh, we had the opportunity to go down to Florida to spend some time with my parents. And one of my aunts works at Disney World, and she was able to get us some free tickets to go to Disney World. And if you saw a picture of us at the Magic Kingdom, you might say, wow, they are having a great time. But let me tell you, Disney World during Thanksgiving is not that great of a time. One ride in six or seven hours is not all that great. You know, we see pictures and pictures uh, bring up emotion. They give us memories of past events. They give us joys and we see pictures of past loved ones. They bring some sorrow. But really, there's more to a picture than just the picture. They tell a greater story. See, the world is offering us these snapshots of life and how it's good. But that's not the whole story. There's much more than you might initially see. So I think God, through this passage, is telling us not to be fooled by the images the world offers you. Don't be fooled by their images, but rather focus on the reality of what you have in Jesus Christ. Don't be fooled. Focus on the reality. Well, here this psalm begins with a great statement of faith. Truly, God is good to Israel. Truly, God is good to Israel. Truly, God is good to the church. Truly, God is good to you, his people. And that really deserves a Presbyterian amen, I think. God is doing all things for his glory and our good. But it goes on. It doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always feel as if things are going well. We have difficult situations we're dealing with. We have struggles. Especially when we see the world in such happiness. We can think, man, how can I see them living it up, enjoying life? And yet here I am struggling. And verse 2 here, even knowing the truth, even knowing the truth that God is good to Israel, yet the psalmist says in verse 2, I almost fell. I almost stumbled and fell. And why? Because of what he saw. He saw the wicked enjoying life, 
Right. You don't have to turn on. You can turn on your social media, look at somebody else's handle and see how good their life is. And it can be envy. You can become envious of what's going on in their life. But the reality is, is that's not the full story. It's just a fuzzy image. It's not the truth. Like the psalmist, the world is attempting to draw your attention, to capture attention. But what does it really offer you but false images? As you look around at all those false images, the world is trying to orient your eyes horizontally. It's trying to draw your attention. We're told it's told that we, we receive or we see close to 5,000 images in advertising a day. The, war, the world is at war with you. Christians, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, you go into battle every morning you wake up with what the world is trying to offer you. And you have to be ready as you wake up every morning, be ready that you're going into battle, that the world is trying to tempt you, lure you into believing that this is the truth. It's trying to orient your mind to the horizontal. You see, temptation is always about us, but be sure, temptation is not a sin. Our Lord Jesus was tempted in the desert. But how did he respond? Here in verses 3 through 12, what is the world tempting you? What, is, what are they trying to offer you? Verses 3 and 5. They're trying to offer you a life of ease. An easy life. A risk-adverse life. For I was envious. I saw their prosperity of the wicked. They have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're fat and happy. They have no troubles. Everything they want, they get. They seem to be coasting along. The world is trying to tell you that you can have a life of ease. Remember some, I don't know, when I was a kid, maybe some of you remember the story of the lifestyles of the rich and famous. They promise, like, hey, if you do everything right, you can be like me. Be envious of what I have. And that's the American dream. It's the world trying to portray to you. Don't you want to live a life of ease? Verses 6 and, six and 7. What is the world offering you but a life of indulgence? Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a gar- garment. Here's a disgusting image. Their eyes swell out of their... Out through fatness, their heart overflows in folly. They have the pride of their accomplishments around their neck. Look what I've done. They bring glory to their own name. And their pride. I can have whatever I want. I take it. And then you have this image of they take in so much. They overindulge so much. Their eyes are even fat. Isn't that the story of our culture? I just get, get away, get through with my, my uh, work for the day, and I'm going to put myself in front of the television, in front of Netflix or the computer or the video games, and overindulge myself. The world is offering you a life of indulgence. You can have whatever you want and do whatever you want. And then verses 8 and 9, what is the world offering you but a life of power? A life of power. They scoff and speak malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. They oppress with no consequence. 
They, they lord power over people. Don't you want that? Where you can have power, you can do what you want, you can rule the earth. They don't even fear God. What is God going to say to us? They taunt the heavens. They control their own lives. Don't you want to be your own master, the world says? Don't you, do you really need God to tell you what to do? And here in verses 10 and 11, the psalmist is tempted. The people of God can be tempted to say, it can't be all that bad. They don't, nothing happens to them. They're not receiving any judgment. They get what they want. They, they, they desire what they want. And they go and get it. No one tells them what to do. It can't be all that bad, can it? Those advertisings we see, right? We see the life of all the alcohol advertising. They're drinking. They're having happy lives. they got the perfect body. How do they portray sexual relationships and homosexuality but with happiness? You can have all this wealth and enjoy all the things of this world. You have no constraints on your life. You just do what makes you happy. And you can look around at your friends, people on your social media account, and it seems as if they're enjoying that, and they don't have God. They seem to be okay. They don't have God, and they seem to be okay. And here the psalmist comes down to a crisis of faith. You may question yourself, is it really worth it? In verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Have I done all this in vain? Have I come this day? Have I given up one day of every week to worship God in vain? Have I given up my finances in vain? Have I done all these things for nothing? I'm tired and ashamed, the, the psalmist says. I can't even say it out loud how difficult this has become. The question is, beloved brothers in Christ, what is your draw? What is the world trying to tempt you with? Where do you see your difficulty? Are you given to a life of ease or indulgence or power? But here we move into the transition of this beautiful passage. Verses 16 and 17. But when I thought of how to understand this, it seemed to be a wearisome task. When? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. The psalmist comes into the sanctuary of God and he understands. He takes his eyes off the vertical and he points them horizontal. Horizontal to vertical. He looks to heaven. He looks at the Lord and he understands their end. He stops looking at the pictures of the world. And he starts looking up to heaven in worship. This is why we come here this day. This is why what the pastor Boyd talked about reviving our personal worship and our corporate worship and our family worship, where we can come before God Almighty and worship together to calibrate our lives upon the scriptures and upon God himself. Not until we go into the sanctuary of God will we really understand their end. And what do we really have? Well, we must understand what really is coming to the wicked. We need to understand what's their end 
We must focus on their end. The picture is becoming more clear. In college, Natalie was in, involved in photography. And of course, I then therefore enjoyed photography. And so as she was developing film, I'd go in there with her and you'd see you drop the film in this old school way, doing it, putting it in different chemicals. Have any of you done that before? And as you put the, in the chemicals, the picture starts to come out of what's on that piece of paper. If you pull it out early, the picture is not clear. It's just a yellowy color and you see somewhat of a faint. But here we see in the psalmist, we start to see the clarity of the picture, the reality of their end. We've been distorted. And that was not the, the fault of Eve in the garden when she was tempted said, you know, God told us not to even touch this. She was tempted to think that God's word wasn't true. She started to forsake God's word. She needed to hold on to it, and so we do too. You can spend your whole life pursuing comfort and life of power and, and wealth, but it's all gone. Not only is it going to be all gone, those who pursue those things will receive judgment. That's the reality of the wicked. That picture that the world tries to show you of how good a life of alcoholism can be doesn't really show you the guy hanging over the toilet, getting sick. Or that same-sex marriage that ends in disease or broken relationships or carefree drug use or relationships or the rich man who dies alone with nobody around him because his wealth had driven away his family. If you're here today and you're pursuing those things, the end is judgment. If you trust in the things of this world, that's where it leads. Won't you trust in Jesus? Don't trust in the things of this world because that's where they lead to judgment. The reality is, is that in verse 18, look at verse 18 with me. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. Remember the beginning. He said he almost slipped. But these people were set on in mud, in slippery places. Heard some of you guys have done tough mutters or Spartan races. And I don't know if you guys ever did that where you grab something and they make you walk up a muddy hill. And it seems like every step you take, you just start sliding back down the hill because of the, the terrain. That's what it's like for the wicked. They have no strong and sure footing. But you and me, we have the rock, which is Jesus Christ. That's where we place our feet and we will not stumble. We have been united to Jesus Christ. And if you attempt to put your feet anywhere else, it's just sinking sand and it will fail you. And the psalmist says here, it's a wake up call. When I come into the presence of God, week by week, as you come into God's presence, you should be woken up, refocus your life, conform your mind to the image of Jesus Christ. And here in verse 20, he says, they're like phantoms. The world's like a phantom. You can't grab onto it. It's not real. It is just an image. So the question is, what does the world really have to offer you? The answer is nothing. The world has nothing for you. Things are just things, so don't grasp onto them too tightly. 
Because they will take you down. And when you are tempted, respond like Christ with the very word of God. When tempted, turn your gaze heavenward and remember the truth. Let's look at verse 25. Here the psalmist turns his gaze heavenward. Whom have I in heaven but you? He looks up and then he looks back down. There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So turn your gaze heavenward. Look at God and then go say, you have nothing for me. Nothing I really need. We need to look at the Lord and marvel at him and his goodness to us. How he's restored our relationship to him as we can come to him as our father and enjoy fellowship with him. As it says in verse 23, we put our hands in the hand of God and he will lead you. As we talked about this morning in Sunday school class. That we are weak creatures. We're weak. And yet God tells us to put our hand in his and he will lead us because he won't fail us. He will be your strength. So what is our response in verses 27 and 28? Once we're confronted with this reality We should be amazed of who we are near. We're near the living God. We have been restored to fellowship with him. And he is by our side. And we don't need the things of this world. And then we should understand how helpless the wicked are. They're helpless without Jesus Christ. See here in the very last verse, it says that I may tell of all your works. That word in the Hebrew, not the evil, in the, in the Hebrew is to count, recount, to speak, right? To tell is to say what God has done and retell it. So we're to tell of all the good things God has done. This is an evangelistic call by the psalmist to tell of all that God has done and who he is, that the world will fail you. It's muddy mess. But we can tell you about the rock who is Jesus Christ. And this should bring in us a heart for the lost. So open your eyes to what the world is offering you. When tempted, remember the reality of who you have. You've seen the real picture. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. What else do you really need? Amen. Let's pray.